Bernie Cherevelli has never been a musician that needed a spotlight to complete him as a singer-songwriter musician. He's always let his music do the talking during his career that has spanned nearly three decades. He's worked with artists such as the Doobie Brothers, Larry Carlton, and David Pack, who incidentally introduced him to Michael McDonald. Needless to say, his musical relationship with McDonald has flourished for nearly 25 years and has took Shiravelli to new levels of creative writing, performance, and collaboration. Once you listen to his latest solo release, The World Around Me, you'll find that he understands the craft of songwriting very well. Musically, his capacity to take you through a labyrinth of unexpectedly fresh guitar chording progressions will keep you engaged. Lyrically, he will draw you into each song in a calm, methodical way. Inside Music Cast is happy to welcome a very seasoned musician, Bernie Chiravelli. Hey, Bernie, thanks for joining us here on Inside Music Cast today. Oh, my pleasure. Thank you very much. Yeah, well, Bernie, first of all, congratulations uh, on your new CD, The World Around Me, released on, uh, is it Bernois Music? Okay, excellent. Oh, I forgot to mention, we've got our correspondent, Scott Gross, on the line with us. Scott, please say hello. Please, hello. <laughs> I'm so sorry. I, I jumped right into this and, and uh, forgot to introduce uh, the fact that Scott was here. So. No doubt. <laughs> hey, Bernie, you mentioned uh, – uh, let's talk about your, your new CD for a little bit, and we'll be jumping around a little bit. But uh, uh, you mentioned that you wrote 12 new songs for this album. And, uh, you know, some writers take a, uh, you know, take a while for a series of songs over years, and, and, uh, and they put these together. They string them along as these – you know, the songs sort of uh, start uh, material. Um, how recent uh, were all these songs for this new project? How long uh, did it take you to, to write uh, the music? Well, um, you know, in some cases, some were written maybe over the last two or three years. Mm-hmm. Um, a few of them I actually wrote just in the last four or five months. Um, they came really fast. But yeah. I'd say the majority of it was all, you know, averaged out all in the last couple, two, three years. Yeah. Um, a song on that I wrote with Mike, Mike McDonald, uh, Long Haul. We actually wrote that, gosh, seven or eight years ago. Uh-huh. Uh, wrote it actually with the uh, intention of getting it in uh, to a movie, but it didn't make it. Which movie? Uh, it was going to be the one, the Mel Gibson movie, um, We Are Soldiers. Okay. Yeah. And um, we wrote that one, and then we wrote another one. Um, so it's just been kind of sitting around for a while. And... Uh, uh, Mike has never cut it actually, but he, I just talked to him the other day. He loved my version, so I think it kind of resparked his interest in the song again, which was good. Yeah. Well, you know, if, if anyone knows about your background, they'd know that, you know, you're constantly on the road. And, and to this point, uh, on your website bio, you talk about the challenges that face you when you're trying to balance the road and, and studio work. And that really must be a, a challenge for musicians like yourself when it comes to creating your music. Yeah, it's a challenge all around. I mean, especially living in Nashville, where I live now, and uh, you know, when you're away on the road, you're missing the, the session work in town. Mm-hmm. But to be honest with you, I wouldn't trade it for anything. Working with Michael was yeah the best best gig I could ever have. I'm sure, hands down. Yeah, you know, it's funny because um, as we were talking about about your work and your your touring uh, for over, over the years with Michael, it reminded us of a of a past guest of ours that uh, sort of similar, and you, you might know him too. Um, our good friend John Harrington, who's a guitarist for Steely Dan. I know John, and uh, of course, I think he's very much in the same position. He's got his his gigs that uh, that are solid as ever, and they take him around the world. Yet he finds some way to sit down and you know record his own music and you know sort of release his his creativity so i can uh, i bet you can relate to guys like him i can you know it's um it's a hard thing it's like 
writing music is a, is a strange thing. You just really have to just sit down and do it. It's easy to avoid. Uh, it's easy to put off. It's easy to be too tired. But I find I just have to force myself to get in there and do it. And yeah. once, once I get into the, the chain of events, I'll get inspired and, and, and I, and I want to finish it. Um, you know, when I was younger, um, I always had my, la- my you know, some sort of, before laptops even, I'd always have a little four-track with me or something, and I'd record in my hotel room and always putting down ideas. But as I'm getting older, I, I'm less motivated to do that. Um, I, I need to clean and to be aired out and be home in my studio to work these days. Yeah. So, I, I, you have to be more disciplined to get it done. And, and i got to say, I, I worked pretty hard on this record. Mm-hmm. Well, we've sort of been absorbing it, uh, you know, over the past few days, and you know, it, it's 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 really a neat collection of, of of very well built songs, and and I say that with respect because as a singer songwriter, I mean that's that's what that's what you do, you know, a song's not just a song; it's a, it's basically a composition, a piece of artwork that you have to you have to build it, and sometimes you have different bricks in order to uh, to to build each song. Huh? What are your thoughts on that? Absolutely. Yeah. Well, I'm curious to know, where is it being distributed? Is it mainly on your website, or is it on iTunes? Um, it's coming to iTunes any day. Uh-huh. <laughs> uh, uh, it's actually the, my main distributor is CD Baby. Uh-huh. Uh, I, I really like them. They've been really good for me. Uh, you know, I've had three previous albums with them, and they've really just always been on the ball Yeah. Um, as far as getting it out there digitally as well. And um, they're really good about paying you and just giving you every all the records of their they're, they're better than my administrators. <laughs> I, they, they really are. They're really good. And um, and they, they, I used them for Amy McDonald's record, too, when I produced and wrote that. They were just really, really great. And um, mm-hmm. I love them. I can't say enough great things about CD Baby. Yeah. You know, we've we've had a lot of artists that have mentioned CD Baby, and, and it seems like a it's becoming uh, almost like the standardized outlet for a lot of artists, you know, to distribute their music. Since obviously it's it's a whole different world as far as promoting and, and distributing music. And on the on the topic of promotion, um, what are some of the challenges or, that you face with promoting your record? I mean, ha, ha, you know, just getting the word out, spreading the word. Obviously, we're doing Inside Music Cast, and that's going to, you know, hopefully get the word out to listeners of ours that are around the world. But tell me about other ways that you go about, you know, getting the word out about your your record. Well, these days, you know, it's hard. You're, like you said, you know, right. there's 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 good and bad to CD things like CD Baby. I, I read a thing recently where Tom Petty was saying that you know the art of an album is like going away. Right. You know, with, with singles-oriented formats these days, anybody can get their, their songs up on, on the Internet. So you're up against that first off. So, yes, it's a huge challenge. Um, for me personally, uh, I'll shamefully say that, you know, that I, you know, I use my, my tenure with Michael. Um, that helps. Mm-hmm. Um, and yes. Michael gladly endorses me and pushes me. He, he's the greatest support to that anybody could ever have. That's cool. Um, but you know, using that aspect, and of course, the internet these days is great. Where you have Facebook, sure. and MySpace, and uh, any blogs that you can get, and, and your website, of course, and using some of uh, CD Baby's resources that they've suggested. That's basically what I'm doing. You know, I'm just kind of. I'm not. I have no grand illusions that this album is going to take off or anything. I just take a day, a day at a time and build on it, and whatever catches fire, I just go with that. You know. Sure. Basically. Mm-hmm. It's homegrown. Yeah. 
we know you built a large portion of your music career on the road, but what about the studio scene? Have you had your share of session work? Like, who are some of the musicians you've worked with? In Nashville, um, you know, a little bit with Vince Gill, John Vesner, um, he's a great songwriter here. He wrote... Um, oh, yeah, he's great. Where Have You Been? I do, do a lot of work for him. He uses me a lot. A little bit with Victor Krauss, um, Allison Krauss's brother. Um, mm-hmm. Another great player here, um, Tim Akers, keyboard player. Um, you know, but mainly most of my session work here, I'll, I'll be honest, is mostly with Michael. I, you know, I've kind of... Um, I probably should spread myself out here a little bit more as a session player, but I've always thought more of myself as a writer first, and mm-hmm. that's kind of where I've concentrated my efforts is, is co-writing with writers here. Um, I've always felt that I was a little bit... I mean, I, I, you know, I'm known as a guitar player, but I feel my stronger suit is songwriting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I feel there's a lot of future in getting cuts with people, and so that's really where I invest most of my time as far as session work is writing. Well, we were talking about the road a second ago and how you do spend a lot of time out on the road. And um, I'm curious about the challenges you have from, say, a personal perspective when you go out on the road for a lengthy period of time. And, you know, how I'm just curious about you and how you balance your personal life and, and family while mm-hmm. you're away. Mm-hmm. Um, that's a good question. Um, I've got a, just a tremendous, wonderful wife. Um, she's She knew from the day we started going out that, that what I do. Um, and, you know, we, we live a pretty normal life you know, uh, relatively, I mean, we have a real strong confidence in our relationship, and that just helps me. That's like the foundation of my balance. You know, mm-hmm. It really is. It's like I know she's here for me. I know if I'm going to go out on the road that our two kids are completely, totally looked after. Right. So I never have to worry about that, even though I do worry when I'm away. Right. Um, but that is that just puts everything in balance for me is having a great marriage great kids and a great life and i know when i go out there everything's going to be okay and you know the great thing about playing with michael is he's pretty much the same way it's it's all about family and friends first with him he's a great influence to me i've, kn- I've known him for just about 25 years now wow and, he, and he's always been my hero as far as uh, a role model sure he's like a big brother to me <laughs> and and I've just always really admired the way he respects people and and just it's always like he's so polite to my mom all the time. Every time he sees my mom, <laughs> you know, he's just, I mean, it's, it's amazing. He's so polite to her. Um, and I've had other friends tell me the same thing. He's just, but he's just that kind of guy. Um, anyway, as far as balancing life uh, and on the road, like I said, it's, I'm always happy to get out there and play with those guys because they're all pretty much like me. We always... We all feel the same way about family and, and friends and life, and, mm-hmm. um, and uh, it's great. It's a great situation. It makes it less painful to be away, let's put it that way. Well, you, you had posted some videos uh, while you were on your tour, I guess your last tour, on the tour bus and everything. It seemed like you all got along and had similar senses of humor and everything. We absolutely do. It's, um, it, you know, it gets a little demented sometimes, <laughs> 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 being out there for too long, but... Uh, Everybody's pretty much, like I said before, in the same boat. And, and uh, I, you know, I've known like Vince Denham, um, our sax player, as long as I've been in Mike's band. I mean, a quarter of a century I've known him. Wow. Um, and he, he's a wonderful guy. A uh, couple other guys. I'm trying to think of who's been there the longest besides Pat and I. I mean, uh, Vince and I. Uh, Yvette, our drummer, has been there 10 years now. 
Um, the other, others have only been there like maybe four or five years. So really, me and Vince and, and, and Michael have been together the longest, so we've got a pretty deep bond there. We've been, been through a lot together. By the way, I just want to make a footnote that 25 years of being on a bus with anyone, that'll make you demented anyway. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> hey, you're, you're a multi-instrumentalist, and uh, you're a fine guitarist, but uh, when and how did music first bite you? Tell us a little bit. I, I'm sure our listeners wants to know, want to know a little bit about you and, and uh, how you first got bitten by the music bug and when. That's a great question. Um, you know, for me, and I'm sure a lot of guys, and you guys too maybe, but for me it was, it was the Beatles. Um, I mean, I played music before I saw them. Um, I, I started on piano, took piano lessons when I was a kid, like nine years old. And I, I, I was told that I was pretty good, but I, I stopped reading the music. And my piano teacher got really frustrated with me and told my parents, this kid's he's useless. He's never going to get anywhere. <laughs> and so I, 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 you know, I was out of piano lessons, and I wanted to play drums. Then I saw the Beatles, and that was it. I mean, that really did it. That was like, I just said, that's what I want to do. Yeah. And, um, you know, I don't, I basically, once I figured out that you could write songs, I think I wrote my first song when I was 14 years old, and as I watched the Beatles progress, one of my big inspirations to me was when McCartney did his first solo album, and that he played all the instruments on it. Mm-hmm. That, to me, was just fascinating. And from there on out, I was just, I got really got the recording bug. My first tape recorder was a Wallen sack. Oh, yeah. You know, and it did sound on sound, but, uh-huh. but I don't even know how I did it, but somehow I managed to, uh, you know, stack uh, tracks on there. It sounded horrible, but just the concept of it just, bit me in the ass. I'm sorry, but I, I mean, I, just, I, I mean, ever since then, I just can't get enough of recording. I've just always loved it, uh-huh. you know, from having a two-track up to a four-track to an eight-track. And, of course, these days, it's ridiculous what you can do with a, with a computer. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, that, I mean, really, the, the basis of my inspiration was the Beatles. And then from then on, the California scene, you know, Buffalo Springfield, the Birds, progressing into the 70s for me, getting into R&B and black music, I mean, I just was, the first time I heard uh, uh, Stevie Wonder's Music of My Mind just completely changed everything that I thought about music. So then I got into more R&B and, and uh, funk. You know, just so many inspirations out there. But um, in a nutshell, like I said, it, it all started with the Beatles for me. Yeah. You, know, you know, I was going to th- ask if... Um, you know, in regards to the Beatles, was there any certain period of their music? I mean, these guys, you know, the evolution of their music was so, so amazing, and the phases were so different from each other. That Was there any one that you really uh, embraced more than the other? Yeah, I mean, I, I love all their stuff. I mean, yeah. I, I still listen to their stuff. I bought, all, I bought their whole remaster uh, collection, and, and I, I still listen to their stuff. But, yeah, I would say... My favorite period is probably, uh, gosh, it's, I, it's hard for me to be prejudiced to any one of their uh, eras, but obviously when they started getting into Rubber Soul and Revolver, um, I love some stuff on Magical Mystery Tour, even like, uh, like Your Mother Should Know and yeah. uh, you know, Strawberry Fields, that Penny Lane is just a 
freaking masterpiece. Oh, yeah. yeah. Um, but, yeah, when, they, when it got a little more sophisticated and they got away from just like the, the you know, there was nothing uh, generic about their love songs at all. But when they started getting deeper, more lyrically and production-wise, I guess that's probably my favorite period. I'm still fascinated by some of the stuff they pulled off. Yeah. It still sounds so contemporary to me. Right. Um, but, yeah, I'd say probably that era, um, Rubber Soul on. Yeah. It's just amazing. Yeah, Bernie, after that uh, 64 broadcast of the Ed Sullivan Show, uh-huh. how soon after that do you remember learning an instrument and forming your first band? Wow. Uh, not long. Not long, because I had a couple friends, um, you know, I'm, I'm showing my age here, you know, 64, <laughs> I would have been 11 years old. So it wasn't immediate, but I'd say within a year or two, um, um, I, I had a band, because uh, I can remember a friend, a couple, another friend of mine was also really into them, had a guitar, and a friend a couple years older than me um, had a drum set, and mm-hmm. he started playing in his garage. His, his first drum set, he, all he had was a snare and a cymbal, and so he used uh, paint cans for the rest of the kick, because his father was a, was a painter. <laughs> <laughs> and um, yeah, that's pretty much, I'd say, I'd say within a year or two after I saw the Beatles, we were already playing in bands. And have you had a chance to meet any of them? Of the Beatles? Yeah. No, I never have. I've been really close a couple times. <laughs> um, I mean, stupidly close. But uh, <laughs> I, I had a, I have a um, funny little story. My aunt, my cousin, um, she's a uh, customs agent, and she was working in New York at the time, and. She knows that I'm a Beatle lover, and Paul came off a plane one time, and he was carrying a guitar, Paul McCartney, of course, <laughs> and um, she's, she's a character, my cousin, and she says to him, hey, my, my cousin, he's, uh, he plays with Michael McDonald, and supposedly, or apparently, Paul said, he does not, <laughs> <laughs> and she goes, oh, yes, he does, he does, he plays, and he goes, and he said, what's his name? And she said, and Bernie Shrevelli, and he goes, oh, great. And, and she goes, and she was so nervous, she, she goes, well, maybe you want his autograph? <laughs> <laughs> and, and Paul said, uh, I think maybe you meant you want my autograph. <laughs> and she said, okay, so he wrote uh, on a piece of paper, he said, I've got, I'm looking right at it right now. It says to Bernie, and I'm below it, it says, hey, Bern, which oddly enough, that's what my close friends call me, Bern. I don't know how he knew that. Holy cow. Yeah, but he said to Bernie, hey, Bern, Paul McCartney, 2000. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, so, so that's the closest I've gotten to meeting him. But, uh, <laughs> and, um, but one of these days, they, they, we played in, um, in um, Stockholm back in 1993, gosh, that's so long ago. And um, we played, and um, Mike's manager told us that well, McCartney was playing in Stockholm that night as well. And he said, I think McCartney's going to come see you tonight. So, of course, we were all biting our nails. And <laughs> he decided at the last minute to get on his plane and go back to wherever he lived at the time in Scotland or something. Yeah. Because I've, I've, I've read that he goes home a lot after gigs. Really? If it's in, with flying distance, he'll hop on his plane and just go home. But the whole band came. Um, uh, at the time, it was Robbie McIntosh was the guitar player. Interesting, right. yeah. 
and um, and uh, Wix, uh, which is keyboard player. Anyway, so we hung out with Paul's band for for hours that night. It was just a gas. <laughs> but again, very close, but not not quite. Yeah. Like we typically do here on Inside Music Cast, uh, during today's interview, we're going to take a few breaks so that we can check out um, some tracks from Bernie's latest solo release called The World Around Me. And in fact, let's uh, stop right now and, and take a listen to the title track. This is The World Around Me.
in your bio, you, you mentioned uh, right around 85. You moved to L.A. and uh, as a part of the band called Page One. Which is one, um, which is one of the, the the group that's it basically just disbanded shortly after. Not long after that, you um, you connected with a guy named David Pack, whom we know really well, and he's been, he's basically been on the show. Um, I was wondering if uh, you could share a little bit about the details of how you came to to meet him and uh, eventually work with him. Uh, yeah, that's a neat story, David. Um, to this day, I I really owe a lot to him. He he basically plugged me to Michael. Um, but before that, um, I was playing in Page One, like you said, and we mm-hmm. were playing in Newport Beach. And um, we were doing, at the time, we were doing like a, like a cover gig. We were playing half covers, yeah. half originals. And um, a gentleman, uh, you probably know who John, John Alafonte. Sure. He came in the club and checked us out. We didn't know him. And he came up to us after a break and said, wow, you guys are great, really love you. I have a friend, David Pack, and he's looking, oddly enough, looking... We had a woman bass player, mm-hmm. Flavia Paulson. She was really good. And David was doing the video for White Nights, which was... Prove Me Wrong? Is that Was that the song? I think it was. Yeah, yeah. I think it, I think it was Prove Me Wrong. And um, he had already cut the tune, and it was going to... They were doing a video for uh, for White Nights, mm-hmm. Gregory Hines' movie. And um, he wanted a woman bass player for the video. And John F. Elefante really liked the way Flavia looked, so he told David about Flavia. And um, sure enough, Flavia got the gig. And um, if you ever see that video out there, um, which you could probably find on YouTube, because mm-hmm. you can find, any, find anything, um, that's Flavia, our bass player, playing bass wow. in, the, in, the, in the video. And um, David was real grateful, and he told Flavia, if there's anything I can ever do... Um, let me know. And she said, well, as a matter of fact, I've got this band, and um, our songwriter, guitarist, is, 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 you probably would like to meet him. So I got David's phone number, and I remember calling him a few times, one of those things where you're trying to reach somebody and trying to get somewhere, and, you know, you're kind of desperate. <laughs> and he finally returned my call, and he was the sweetest guy. And um, we got together, and I went over and played him some songs, and I got to say, he just he flipped out, and and he said, you know, what are you recording this stuff on? And I said, well, at the time I had a four-track Fostex, you know, one of those little cassette things. Yeah, sure. Wow. So fidelity wasn't all that great, and he said, you know, you need a better tape machine. And hand to God, he walked me over and got a TAC 8-track, you know, a half-inch. Sure. I think, it was, I think it was half-inch, and gave it to me. He said, you need to be recording on this. Holy cow. You know, he just, he just gave it to me. And, um, and I can't tell you what an inspiration that was. And little by little, we started writing together, David and I, and um, we formed a friendship. He was playing with Michael at the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, he played with Michael for probably a year and a half. But David, you know, him and Michael are great friends, but his intention was never to be in Mike's band very long. Right. Because he had a pretty uh, uh, strong solo career on his own, and he produced a lot of people. So he was a busy guy. So he was telling Michael that, you know, I'm going to be need to, you know, leave in the band, and but I know this guitar player that you might really like. So he kind of pushed me to Michael. So David said, look, you, you need to audition for Mike. And 
I'll tell you, and I never, never in a million years would I ever dreamed of auditioning for Michael McDonald. It never even passed my mind, ever. <laughs> it just never did. And um, all of a sudden, I realized I had the chance, and I just went, oh, my goodness. So um, I got a tape. Well, actually, the, the, here's the even weirder part. It was that um, one day... I, I lived in L.A., but I still I used to go to San Francisco to visit my folks. Yeah. So I went up, and I was visiting my folks, and I was checking my voicemail at home. And who's on my voicemail but Michael McDonald? And I, I didn't even know him. He said, hey, uh, Bernie, this is Michael McDonald, and um, you know, I know this is kind of a short notice, but uh, we need a guitar player <laughs> for, for this gig coming up on Thursday. Um, and I know it's short notice, but is there any way you can do it? And I just about went through the roof. I called him back immediately and said, absolutely, yes. And I didn't know any of the songs yet. <laughs> so I had to, like, start, um, you know, woodshedding. Then it turned out the gig got canceled. So my heart sank to the ground. I couldn't even believe it. Right. And, but that was at the point where, now I'm getting my memories coming back to me, that was where the point was, well, look, I'm going to be eating guitar player. Would you be up for auditioning? And I said, absolutely. So then I went to town on about 18 songs, went over to, actually the auditions were being held, oddly enough, at David Pack's studio in his control room. And it was just uh, me, Michael, um, Chuck Sabatino, and Scott Plunkett, who was the guitar player, I mean the uh, other keyboard player mm-hmm. at the time. And we sat in a control room, and we just played. Um, no drums. I, just, I remember we started running through, like, uh, I can't remember what the first song was, but I remember we went to Real Love, What a Fool Believes, I think we did, Minute by Minute. And I'm telling you, man, I studied those songs like there was no tomorrow. <laughs> I, I mean, I knew every part, every nuance. I really did. You nailed it, huh? I, 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 well, I, I, I guess I did. But the, the scary part was is that um, when I listened to the live tapes that I had to listen to, learn from, David was doing all the high parts, and I was a little scared of that. And sure enough, they wanted me to sing like the high part on Real Love, which is, which is a high D. Yeah. And so I was had to. You know, I wasn't used to singing that high because I was, my band. I was a lead singer, and sometimes I would sing above the other singer, but I never sang the high parts, and um, that freaked me out a little bit. But I'll never forget Michael. We did what a fool believes, and I, I couldn't get the part. <laughs> I, I couldn't get it and he just said to me after this you know don't worry about it you know after a few times you'll start to stretch and you'll get it yeah. I couldn't believe how kind he was that's cool and you know sure enough as time went on uh, Chaz Fertel and I were doubling on those parts and we were singing the high parts but anyway you know I finished the audition I felt like I went pretty well and I went home and I was just a nervous wreck and I knew that another guitar player, uh, there were a couple other uh, reputable players that were that are auditioning for the gigs as well. And I was pretty used to rejection at that point. You know? <laughs> I really was. I just figured, you know, good chance I'm not going to get this. And then Mike called me and said, you're in. That's me. You know, he, well, actually what he said was, is, we're going to try a couple gigs and see how it goes. And if it works out, we'll, we'll, we'll see. We'll take it from there. That's very cool. That's very cool. 
You know, in regarding uh, one thing that I noticed very interesting about is uh, how you've crossed paths with, of course, David and Michael. But I consider those guys two of the most soulful guys in the business, really, that aren't black. You know, <laughs> and those guys, I mean, they're they're R and B through and through. So, in regards to what you just said a little, few minutes ago about you connecting to the funk and the Motown, I was going to ask you did you did you love that style as much as they did, right? Absolutely. Yeah. Like I said, uh, you know. You know, playing in clubs in the in the seventies. You know, there was Tower of Power, and um, yeah. you know, maybe not the the heavy funk, but you know, like I said, Tower of Power and and R and B like Boz Boz Gags. Yeah. I loved. You know, mm-hmm. the the Lido, uh, was that Silk Degrees? That yeah, album. Right, right. I just, mm-hmm. just love that stuff. Yep. Um, and I was I got into Stevie Wonder super hard. Yeah. Um, Donny Hathaway. Um, Gosh, I always blank when I'm trying to remember all the records I've listened to over the years. But, but yeah, I mean, I, I coming from the Beatles and, and the Birds and the, and the whole West Coast scene in, in the late '60s, early '70s, and then all of a sudden, when I mean, when I was turned on to the R&B, it just took me the opposite way. You mm-hmm. know, and I've had the chance to play with some really great guitar players in, in that era that that taught me a lot about voicing and uh, you know because i was just such a straight ahead rock player well who, who were some of those guys that you played well, with that uh, two guys that probably you may or may not know but um one guy's name is bill burgess um he's or he's his name is still around he's he's known to a lot of guitar players um, mm-hmm. i had a chance to work with him another guy named um, pete monu who's okay. just a phenomenal guitar player uh he played with uh, mark isham um yeah band called Group 87, I think they were called. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, just a phenomenal, phenomenal guitar player. I mean, I hardly even had the right to be in the same room as him. But he, these guys were just great guys and just great players and just taught me how to voice on guitar and, and make a guitar sound, get more out of it than just, you know, straight-ahead rock, mm-hmm. which I love as well. You know, okay. nothing like a good guitar cranking up and simple. But... Uh, uh, those two guys really, I think, were my main influences that I knew that mm-hmm. I played with in bands. What were some influences uh, on you that you didn't know? Like, the, you know, musicians that, you know, you followed as a as a kid growing up, you know, who were who some of those guitarists that you wanted to emulate? Um, Steve Stills, Stephen Stills. Like, I just, like, loved the way he played. Um, mm-hmm. uh, Dave Mason, I thought, was a great guitar player. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, Jimmy Hendrix. Who? Jimmy Hendrix. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Who's that? <laughs> um, uh, I thought, you know, he was one of the greatest. I still think he's amazing. Yeah. Um, of course, uh, you know, John Paul George. They were, mm-hmm. they were always big influences on me. Mm-hmm. Um, I love Steve Morse. Yeah. There was, there was a period where I just listened to nothing but drags. Uh-huh. Dixie Dregs. I just, I just loved him. I've met him a few times. He's just a great guy. Mm-hmm. Um, Larry Carlton, sure. of course. Yeah. Well, I've also just recently did a gig with uh, here in Nashville. Very cool. And um, you know, he's he's just one another one of those guys that's just uh, super gracious. Mm-hmm. Uh, Steve Lukather. I, yeah. I just, I just completely love Robin Robin Ford, of course. Mm-hmm. All influences to me that I that I that I wish someday I could grow up and be like them. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe not Luke. 
<laughs> no, he's a good. He's he's been a guest on our show a few times, and we've gotten to know him pretty well. So he's in that case. Yeah, he is. Um, <laughs> you know, I was just going to mention uh, since we were talking about Michael McDonald a little bit ago, um, I wanted to throw up the Doobie Brothers because uh, you you also toured with them uh, for a time. And, and when was that? And, and I'm assuming it was the connection with Michael McDonald. Was that in the mid '90s when they kind of reunited? Yes, it was 1995. Okay. Um, we. Uh, it's funny because the connection was Michael, of course, but it, right. Michael. It wasn't Michael's idea, which is which is typical Michael. Really. Um, he uh, apparently, if John McPhee and um, was it John McPhee and maybe somebody else in the band wasn't going to be there, they had a previous uh, commitment to a Japanese artist, and I'm blanking on the name right now. Big Japanese star. Anyway, uh, so they were. They had a ten, twelve week tour, and um, it was Pat Simmons' mm-hmm. uh, idea. Okay, because they were, you know, because Mike was going. I don't know. I don't know who we can get. And, <laughs> and, and you know, I only know all his songs. But anyway, uh, <laughs> yeah. but, but, but uh, Pat says, "Well, how about your guitar player?" And Mike goes, "Yeah, I guess." And um, next thing you know, I was on the tour, and. Uh, that, I had the time of my life on that tour. I really did. Yeah, that's like a guitar player's uh, <laughs> dream. Yeah, you know? those those China Grove and yep. Long Train Running and and plus Michael's tunes. You know, it was just like it was such a fun show. And uh, I, I'm still friends, uh, real good friends with Pat and Tommy to this day. Um, we, we exchange Christmas cards every year, and uh, we just recently played with Patrick in. Uh, in Hawaii last, uh, what was it, last March, I think it was. Yep. He came and played and sat in with us for a few tunes, and Patrick is just, just the greatest, and I'm happy to see those guys uh, making the rounds these days with a new record that's really good. Yeah, it sounds good. Yeah, really good. I, I, I'm really glad to see them yeah. finally getting a little, a little bit of attention that, that they well deserve. Me, me, uh, Rick, and um, actually Scott and Brian Pearson, another correspondence. We had the, um, the the neat chance to go see Michael perform with Boss Gags and Donald Fagan on uh, just uh, it's called the the Dukes of September tour. Yeah. Did you happen to catch that? And did you talk to Michael about his experience with that the whole tour? I haven't seen the tour, but I have talked to him about it, and he's having the time of his life. Yeah. He, you know, he's um, they're getting to do stuff that. Um, they don't. He, of course, he doesn't normally get to do. It's. Uh, I think he likes it. I mean, I think I think he likes it because it's it sort of taken the stress off of him of being at the center of attention in his own show. You know, I, I know he loves doing that, but he, you know, he's told me he loves the idea that yeah. like he sings a song and then the next song some, somebody else sings it, and he could be a side man, and he really likes that. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if they do that again next year. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, he really enjoys it. We had the. Uh, they're doing some great songs. I don't know if you saw the show. Yeah, we did. Um, they. We actually. Um, Mike came back and he wanted to do some of those songs because so we were doing a string of dates with the Nashville Symphony here, which was just a gas. Uh, my Pat Coyle and myself, and then a few other players from Nashville here. Um, Shannon Forrest on drums and. Uh, great bass player by the name of Craig Nelson. Uh-huh. Um, we uh, we learned some of the songs that they were doing out there. We did uh, 
oh, the two band songs, um, Shape I'm In and uh, uh, Rag Mama Rag. Okay. So we learned those songs from Mike's show, and then he we had... Uh, so I, I can tell Mike just he's kind of gotten the bug of just doing some new stuff because he, you know, I'll be honest with you, and Mike will be the first one to agree. He's he's a tough one to get to learn new stuff. Mm-hmm. He's uh, he's lazy, <laughs> 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 and he'd be the first to admit that. <laughs> but uh, so it, it kind of it gave him the inspiration, the motivation to learn a bunch of new songs. So. He's bringing them all back to our band, which is great. And for us, we just, you know, it's like, we love to play anything new. Yeah. And um, not that I'm sick of his songs by any means, but you know, new stuff is always great. Yeah. It revitalizes. Yeah. But yeah, uh, Mike loves that stuff, and I'm hoping if they do some more, I'd love to go check them out. Just didn't get a chance to win this tour, but mm-hmm. um, I did, like, I, I did live some of it through the... Uh, um, some of the songs we learned. And I think the other thing Mike really likes about it, and he's bringing it into our band as well, is he's starting to play other instruments. That's true. I know if you, you saw the tour that he was yeah. playing accordion. Banjo. Banjo, uh, ukulele. Yeah. He's a big ukulele hound. He loves that thing. <laughs> Fine, it's so funny. That was great. That's one of the first things we point we noticed. I mean, it was one of the most, I think, most interesting points of the night was that he was picking up some different instruments. Yeah. Well, he... he really wants to learn to play guitar really well. I mean, he constantly saying, Bernie, you got to give me some lessons, man. And I said, Mike, just play. That's how you learn. And, Tell uh, him no. You're taking your job. Well, uh, yeah. <laughs> and he does sometimes. <laughs> but uh, I think he finds, like, he plays this uh, it's a baritone ukulele. I think he loves it because it, he finds he can play all these, like, pretty sophisticated chords on it. And it's a lot easier for him than a guitar. Mm-hmm. Um, so he's really kind of taken up his ukulele big, big time. Interesting. He loves it. Hmm. He, he bought me one for Christmas. Um, <laughs> yeah, you guys should go on tour. <laughs> yeah, and you know what? I, I, I've got to say I love the thing. Yeah. You know, I, I really love it. Ukuleles are really, really relaxing. There's something about the just the sound, the harp-like kind of sound. It uh-huh. just relaxes you. I love it. <clears throat> mm-hmm. Great. Anyway. Yeah. Yeah, on the next tour, you can have dueling ukes. <laughs> yeah, that, well, that, that would be... Totally gay, but I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> We've already done it. <laughs> you know, Bernie, in going over uh, all the music that uh, you've had a hand in, uh, I noticed that uh, uh, you co-wrote the song Light My World, which appeared on David Pack's album of previously unreleased tracks from over the years called Unborn. Yeah. Uh, is that song, is that from your initial writing sessions together, or when did that come together? Um, yeah, that was probably one of the first things we wrote together. It was a uh, actually an idea that I had on keyboard, and um, the main riff of that song was just a keyboard idea that I had. I showed it to David, and he just he flipped out. And um, I think that was the song that had 80 bridges before we decided on the bridge we went with. <laughs> but... Uh, um, yeah, and David and I pretty much played everything on that recording. It was a, a program drum machine, you know, uh, I think it was an Alesis drum machine. Uh-huh. But yeah, we, you know, all the guitars, keyboards, vocals were all just me and David. And uh, Yeah. It, that was a fun one. We, I really enjoyed writing that with him. Well, you've written a lot of great stuff. Uh, oh, thank you. You know, with Michael and 
you know, you had the four cuts off of Blue Obsession, uh, track on Larry Carlton's Fingerprints disc, uh, the gospel album, uh, Oh Happy Day, and two original holiday compositions. Just fantastic uh, body of work. Can you tell us uh, how the both of you get together to write? Do you get a chance to write on the road, or how, how do you and Michael get together to write? Um, usually at, at my house or his house. Um, very, I don't think we've ever written on the road. Um, but, yeah, mainly, mainly at our house. Um, I, I, I wanted to tell you guys one funny story about a blue obsession or obsession blues. Um, Mike had come to me with uh, a concept for a tune. He said, I want to write this blues tune, but I want it to be kind of Hendrixy. And I went, okay. And so he showed up at my house. I was living in L.A. at the time. And um, he kind of just showed me the movement on, on, on keyboard. And so we started going with it, and you know, we sketched out the chords and the arrangement, and, um, and we put it down in my studio, and basically we put down just, just piano, um, and I played bass and to a drum machine. We just kind of played it live. And, but he didn't have a, a lyric yet, and um, Mike usually likes to be in charge of the lyrics. Um, he's, he's definitely loves to collaborate on them, but he's got a very strong vision when it comes to lyrics. And he hasn't done too bad by it either, I guess. Yeah. But he, um, he, he's, he usually has an idea in his head, and he's pretty, um, very distinct about where he wants to go lyrically. Anyway, we put the, the idea down, and then he, he says to me, well, maybe I'll just throw down a, a rough vocal. And so I said, okay. So I gave him a track, and my hand to God, he sang every lyric in one take. He had nothing written down. It all came out of his head. Wow. One take. <laughs> and I wow. looked at him and I said, when did you, when did you write that? And he said, um, it was just, it's just been in my head. He Jeez. had it all worked out in his head. Wow. That's when I knew that guy was completely different from anybody I've ever known. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, yeah. the, guy, the guy's from outer space, as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> I mean, I, I could not believe it. I've never seen anything like it in my life. Jeez. And then part two to that story was, he, um, like I said, we had only put down a vocal, a keyboard, a bass, and, and a, just a drum machine. So I asked him, I said, Mike, and I, you know, this was kind of early in our relationship. I mean, we wrote this in like 1994, 95, somewhere around there. So I'd known Mike maybe eight years which, you know, it's long enough we were close, but I still felt a little inhibited around him sometimes writing with him. And I just said to him, do you mind if I kind of play with the arrangement a little bit? And he said, no, go, go to town. So he left, and I just got in there, and I, I knew he wanted to go kind of Hendrixy, so I kind of wrote a, a different chord structure underneath it and put guitars on, and I built a track to, for him. And I took it to him, and we were playing in Santa Rosa, California. I'll never forget it. And we were all in the van, the whole band. And I think we still had Walkman back then, you know. You know <laughs> that. And um, I said, Mike, and I was really nervous about it. I said, Mike, I, I kind of built a track. You want to hear it? And he goes, oh, yeah. And so he puts on my Walkman, puts on the headphones. And about 10 seconds into it, he goes really loud because he had headphones. And he goes, it's great. And he takes it off and he goes, put this in the car. Put it in the stereo. So we put it in the, in the van stereo and blasted it, and we must have listened to it five times 
in a row. He just freaked. Now I can't tell you what that meant to me. Mm. And that was the template that we used for when we cut it for real for the record. Um, so anyway, little session blues story. Oh, that's great. Very cool. <laughs> Yeah, Bernie, the world around me, you know, we, we talked about this, your fourth solo album in addition to the collection of music you cut with Chaz Rattel for your Silent Partner project. That was with uh, George Pirelli, too, wasn't it? Oh, absolutely, yeah. George is a good friend of mine. Yeah. You know, your new project kicks off with some of the same elements that were found uh, on your album with Amy Holland, uh, Journey to Miracle with River. Uh, by that, I mean, you know, comfortable authenticity in the writing and performances, you know, kind of reminiscent of Jackson Brown music to me. And then it really takes off from there, you know. And I was wondering, as a writer and performer, do you struggle putting your own songs together for an album like The World Around Me, or does it tend to come through a stream of consciousness when you're writing? Wow, that's a great question. It, you know, it, it is a struggle sometimes for me. Um, I, I don't know. I, I just... I keep hacking at it until it feels right to me. And some of these songs, you know, I've recorded four and five times to get them to a place where they start to feel right to me. Um, but, you know, at, at the same time, when, you know, as you guys all know, you know, when, when you get into that stream of consciousness, it, it, it just happens and it's, and it's all good. Um, but at, at the same token, there's a, there's a lot of digging in there to get it right, you know. I, I, what I'll do is I'll just sit in here for hours and work on it and work on it and then go away from it, you know, go away for a few days and then put it in my car. My car is like, and I'm sure it's not an uncommon occurrence, but to me the car is like, that's that's where if it's not sounding right in your car, <laughs> it's not going to work. Exactly. Right. You know. Um, but, yeah, it, it's, it's a struggle and it isn't, you know. It, sometimes it's like, there's times when I feel like I'm like right next to God, you know, that, that mm-hmm. it feels so good to me. Mm-hmm. Um, it's such a great feeling when, when something works and you get chills all over yourself. You know, I'm not saying it to, to give my pat myself on the back. I'm just mm-hmm. saying that that connection with music is just when it feels right. There's nothing like it in the world to me. Mm-hmm. Um, but then there's the other side where you just can't get the lyric to feel the way you want it to feel, and you know. And in this album, I you know. I did it pretty much all by myself. Um, I really didn't collaborate with anybody on it mm-hmm. in the actual recording of it, with the exception of Pat coming in playing keyboards. Right. So that was kind of hard. Um, but at the same token, it was kind of liberating. Um, I, I kind of didn't have to answer to anyone yeah. at the same time. So I, I love that aspect of it, too. Working on Amy's record, of course, I had Amy to bounce off of, and, and Shannon, who was our engineer and drummer, um, that was also great. I love that situation, too. Um, the thing I like about working by myself sometimes, there's nobody, and I hate to say this, but there's nobody slowing me down. Um, I can kind of work at my own pace, and I'm pretty fast. It's like when, I, when, I, when I'm on to an idea, I like to go and do it and get it done, whereas sometimes when you're at the mercy of working with other people, it, it can take a lot longer than it should sometimes. Right. Hey guys, let's go ahead and take another short break and uh, let's dive into another track from Bernie's latest solo release, The World Around Me. Uh, This is the first cut on the album called No Way Out.
you produced this album by yourself, right? I mean, it, obviously, you, you played most of the instrumentation, like you mentioned, except for uh, Pat Coyle's organ parts. But tell me, kind of in a nutshell, what are some of the advantages and disadvantages you find in producing your own record? Um, the advantages, in, uh, again, are, are it's like um, nobody um, telling you that something's wrong. Right. You kind of just make that determination yourself. Mm-hmm. Sometimes when you go to someone else and play it, that's when you know it's wrong. But mm-hmm. I'd, I'd say that's probably the great advantage. Uh, the disadvantage is maybe not having somebody around. Sometimes. Right. Yeah. So I, um, just I to love, bounce ideas off of. Worlds. Um, sometimes, though, I find that there's times when I've, when I've written stuff where I thought I've had a great idea and I've taken it to somebody and shown it to them and then songs don't come out the way that you think they should. Or mm-hmm. That can be a little heartbreaking sometimes, too, because you, you're kind of committed to that song now being where it is because what do you do, pull it back and say, no, never mind. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I, it's made me more select with who I work with these days, I guess. Right. Um, I guess, you know, I, 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 you know I, I really only write with handful of writers, and i got to say, the people I write with, I'm pretty grateful that I, that I can write with them. Um, mm-hmm. I, I trust them, let's put it that way. And, you know, Amy is one of those people. I, I, I think I've written some of my best stuff with Amy. Um, mm-hmm. It was just a great partnership. I, I love writing with her. I, I hope we get to do it some more. Right. For our techies out there that are listening, because a lot of, there's a good portion of our uh, our audience that are musicians themselves, um, tell us a little bit about your your gear setup. Uh, when you travel with Michael, uh, for instance, on tour, um, do you have a techie? Do you do your own maintenance and guitars? And tell us a little bit about your your setup and what kind of equipment you use. I'm sure that'll push the buttons to them. Oh, oh sure, yeah. Um, I work with a guy named Bruce Pearson, who's mm-hmm. our guitar tech, and great, great guy. He's worked with. Gosh, everybody, Patty Griffin, John Hyatt, just, just, and he's just the greatest guy. And he looks after my guitars, although I'm pretty particular about my setup, my action, so I kind of take care of that myself. Mm-hmm. Um, but he looks after, you know, looks after my guitars really, really well. I use, um, these days I'm playing primarily Gibson guitars. Um, I, I, I favor a Les Paul um, and the uh, 335 these days mm-hmm. that I just absolutely love. Um, I mean, I've always loved Gibsons ever since I started playing guitars. And uh, I drifted off into Strats and Tellys and other other areas. And even in the, in the, in the last decade, I was using All Line 6 for a while, a Variax. Mm-hmm. And um, I, you know, I really enjoyed it while I played it. But, but in the last few years, I kind of came back around. All of a sudden, I kind of rediscovered Gibsons and said, what? What was I thinking? <laughs> and so I, I pretty much rely on a Les Paul 335 and, a, and an SG. And then for acoustic stuff, I'm playing a J45. And I, I, I just play those primarily. Uh, for for amp, um, I'm using a Fuchs Audio. Mm-hmm. They're out of uh, New Jersey. Use that and an Eggnator, um, Renegade 60, really mm-hmm. nice amp. And um, I run that through a... A Marshall cab loaded with uh, tone tubby speakers. Um, a friend of mine out of Northern California came up with a patent for these speakers that mm. are they're, they're along the Celestian line, um, but they're they're made from hemp, and so you can kind of guess his background. <laughs> 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 but, uh, but you know, God love him. He's 
John, uh, his name's John Harrison, and um, I played in bands with him years and years ago, and he told me about this idea, and only he could come up with an idea like that. <laughs> and he had an idea one night, slightly under the influence, I think, uh, about making a speaker out of hemp cone. Somehow he got it together and took it to a designer or a whoever would do that and made a speaker, and lo and behold, the thing sounds phenomenal. Wow. And um, what was now, um, I mean, they sound so great that Carlos Santana uses these. Huh? Um, well. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. <laughs> Enough said. Um, uh, but Carlos uses them. Uh, Billy Gibson, Gibbons from uh, CZ Top. Sure. Uh, Eric Clapton Holy uses cow. them. Um, and um, being, being my friend, John Litt, makes me use them. But... Uh, and I was really worried when I first got them because I thought, God, what if I hate these things? Right. Well, if you hate it, you can just light it on fire. <laughs> exactly. And, uh, or, you know, the room gets warm and hot and you're in good shape. <laughs> but, uh, you know, I loaded these things in and cranked them up, and I cannot believe how good they sound. Wow, interesting. They're really good. So I've been using Tone Tubbies for probably five, six years now. Wow, that's cool. But that's my speaker situation. And then I use, um, for effects, I've... I've kind of been pretty devoted to TC Electronic. I use their um, their G-System pedal uh, board, which is really, really great. Mm-hmm. And, you know, your, you know, your normal uh, Crybaby Wah-Wah and a couple TC distortion pedals. I, I try to keep it real simple. Yeah, um, yeah. I don't like a whole lot of stuff on my guitar. I like, I, I like the sound to come through, but I do like I do like a good, good delay and mm-hmm. a little compression. Yep. But yeah, that's pretty much my uh, my live setup. Good, thanks. Hey guys, uh, I want to take another short break and uh, let's listen to a track from Bernie's new album, The World Around Me. And uh, this one actually is one of my favorite tracks on the record. And it sort of has a Brit pop, you know, Beatles influenced feel to it. And uh, this is a track called White Lies. <laughs> As I look in your eyes I wonder where you are And where we're gonna go These white lines Are ringing in my ears Silence speaks as loud as words at times And I don't like what I hear So don't deny it Never been more clear Baby I've seen this look before What's behind those eyes And how can I know more To find line Between love and losing you And neither one of us Knows just what to do Afraid to make a move Could deny it now But what's that gonna prove?
what to do Afraid to make a move We could deny it now But what's that gonna prove? Musical talents. Uh, we can't help but notice that you're an awesome website designer. <laughs> you know, you've done sites for Christopher Cross, Robin Ford, Emmy Lou Harris, John Hyatt, Sean Colvin. I mean, it's it's really fantastic work. What brought you into that field, uh, Michael? Um, he, uh, you know, I was I was sort of interested about ten years ago. I was sort of fascinated the way, um, just the whole construction of it, how it how it worked, and I didn't know anything. And then all of a sudden, Michael came to me, and he just asked me, as he does sometimes for advice, he'll say, he said, you know, I'm, I want to get a website, but is, <laughs> this is what he said, and he might be mad at me if I said this, but <laughs> he, said, he said, is 16000 too much to pay? <laughs> <laughs> and I looked at him, and I said, Mike, if you spend that, I'm going to kill you. <laughs> and, um, and I said, look, you buy me the software, which was basically at the time uh, was a Macromedia Dreamweaver. Dreamweaver. Right, right. And I said, look, you buy me the software, and I'll take a stab at it. And um, he said, okay. So we went down to CompUSA when they were still in business. <laughs> yeah. Bought the software, and I went home. I didn't really know anything, but I, I, I'm one of those guys that can kind of dig into something, and I'm stubborn, and I'll figure it out. Mm-hmm. And I built them a little website, and, you know, gosh, I was... The first website was awful, but, you know, he learned from that stuff. And he said, okay, well, I'm going to pay you. you, you here, I'll pay you, and you just main, maintain my website and keep it together. <laughs> and, you know, he basically gave me a ticket to learn. And um, and that's really how I started. You know, I started learning, and little by little, I started getting better and better and learning. And then the next thing I know is management company was going, hey, can you do a site for John Hyatt? And I went... Well, I, guess, <laughs> I guess so, and um, it, now it's become sort of the side business I have. And, and Michael's your agent. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. He's my, my promo guy. And, uh, and I got to say, I I kind of love the uh, process. It's it's not unlike uh, overdubbing and recording. It's kind of got the same mindset for me. And I, you know, like somebody, some people pick up painting or uh-huh. or writing or another hobby. That's kind of how I kind of how I look at it. It's, it's a real good release to get away from, from music even for a while. Yeah. And, and actually kind of, you know, pays a little, so it's, it's good. I, I really enjoy it. Yeah. Thanks for bringing that up. Yeah. 
Hey, well, listen, how, how many days uh, average out of the year are you on the road, and when do you plan to hit the road again? Well, uh, gosh, you know, that's a hard one to figure out. I would say collectively four months out of the year we're on the road, maybe mm-hmm. five months, mm-hmm. you know, and that's broken up. We're never out for that long. Sure. Like we, this year we went to Australia with uh, um, Boss Gags and... Um, and uh, Mick Fleetwood, and mm-hmm. we did about a month and a half there, and then we've done, uh, yeah, yeah, probably four, but this, this year's been a little light because of the Dukes of September, mm-hmm. so maybe we were out like four months this year, but I'd say average four to five months out of the year. Yeah. Um, we'll be back out, on my next show with Mike is, a, is in January, it's a private show, but then after that, uh, February and March, we're starting a run, it looks like mainly the southeast, um, dates in Florida are showing up. So yeah, just around late January, February, it'll pick up. Well, um, Bernie, we thank you so much for, for uh, spending time with us today and learning more about you. And uh, of course, your new album, uh, The World Around Me, is, is excellent. We've had a chance to really dig into it. And uh, we really recommend it to our audience as well. So be sure to check that out. And of course, like you mentioned, it can be found on CD Baby. It's coming soon to iTunes. And uh, uh, where else did you say? Uh, my website, oh. you just go to BernieShirley.com. Yep. It's right on the opening page. Yep. So, you, know, you can get any all the links there you need. Wonderful. That's excellent. And we wanted to also thank uh, Scott Gross for joining us and hanging out with us and asking Thanks, some Scott. questions today. Thanks, Scott. Thank you, guys. My pleasure. And, Thank um, you. Thanks, Scott. Bernie, let's let's keep in touch, and, and maybe we can uh, you know do this again somewhere down the road and, and, and see what else you've been up to. Uh, guys, I really, really appreciate it. It was really great talking to you guys, and can't thank you enough. I really had a great time. No problem. All right, no problem. Um, thanks again for joining us, and uh, we'll see you next time. Okay. All right, take care. Special thanks to Bernie Shiravelli for joining us on this episode of Inside Music Cast. Be sure to join us again on December 13th as Inside Music Cast welcomes Mark King from Level 42. Also, very special thanks to Inside Music Cast correspondents Scott Gross, Brian Pearson, Kim Riley, Max Zape, and Uwe Reif. And please visit our website at InsideMusicCast.com, where you can catch up on all of our past interviews, read the Inside Opinion blog, and check out additional bonus content. Inside Music Cast is also on Facebook, where you can become a fan and join in on music conversation with Inside Music Cast fans from around the world. For Eddie Cabello, I'm Rick Such. Thanks for listening to Inside Music Cast.